Hey everyone, this is Chris, and you're listening to One Cross Radio, and today we are joined by first-time guest, long-time brother, like actual brother, not brother from another mother, brother from the same mother, David Cook. Hey! <laughs> Dave. I'm here. Yes, Dave, how are you doing today? Pretty good. Good. Yeah. We are, we are here celebrating this, the day after my day of birth, um, <laughs> which is just a funny way of saying we're having a family get-together. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, wh- what do you do when if the family get together, but you and I basically just... Like, Leave people and go record a podcast? Yeah, yeah, exactly. But, uh, similar to how we are when we're at the family get-together, because right now we're just recording the conversation that we normally have in front of a group of people who would then start to ignore us and talk about their own thing. Within reason, yeah. 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 Occasional input here and there, but <laughs> we go deeper than they do, uh, except for Jill. But Jill's like, I'm not ready to do a podcast, so I'm out. Okay. <laughs> um, so... My good sir, what are we talking about today? Uh, I think uh, Star Trek, apparently. Yes, yes. As you can tell, we are very prepared. Totally. I have pages upon pages of notes. Listen to me shuffle through them right now. Shuffle, 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 shuffle. <laughs> See, my sh sounded a little bit better. See, unlike you, though, I if I, I, I... And by if I had, I mean that notes I totally have, they are just right here on my phone, which you can't even hear me slide across because oh. it's on silent mode. But for those of you listening, there's definitely a phone in his hand with notes. Totally, oh, for sure. Oh, Hundo P, Hundo P. <laughs> yeah, no, we've we've got nothing. This is a. Uh, it was kind of funny because I was mentioning the other day. I was like, you and I were going to do a uh, podcast about Star Trek, and then someone adorably said, like, I need to watch the show a bunch, like, just so I could speak with some authority. And I was just kind of like. What authority? <laughs> We're just kind of stating our opinion. And then also to that person, I was like, you've watched a bunch of Trek. So your your point is coming from... I don't speak with any authority. I speak with conviction about my opinions. But and some of them are right. And most of them are. Um, <laughs> uh, that last part's questionable. Um, but it's just like, yeah, I, I haven't revisited any of the shows recently like last year i rewatched a bunch of ds9 i got to a point where other shows were starting to capture me so then i was just like this is on netflix i'll come back to it and next gen as much as i love next gen and to me that that might be what i most closely associate with trek just because for me and for you, because you're only like a year and a half older than me, like when we grew up, that was the Trek that was on TV for us. And there was, sure, there was the old crew motion pictures, but for the most part, we didn't even get the good ones because we got five. Okay, six is all right. And I think six came out when you were born or when I was born. I can't remember. But then we got, we got generations and generations and meh. But then we got friggin' the amazing first contact. Yeah, and, I mean, I think, sorry. Uh, like, when I think of, like, the first Star Trek show I remember specifically watching uh, would be DS9. Really? Yeah, yeah, because I, I remember seeing Next Generation, but it wasn't something that we sort of specifically went out of our way to watch. And I think part of it was it started like we were toddlers. Right. Um, and so there was a stretch where I remember... I don't know, as a kid, thinking, like, oh, this is some boring adult show. Um, and, of course, I have, like, since watched it and have realized the error of my ways. But I remember except, when... Except for season one. 
let's just, oh, let's yeah, just yeah, get yeah. that out of the way. Um, but but <laughs> DS DS Nine when it started, I remember like specifically all of us watching that together. Well, that that's the thing. I remember, like, I have fond memories, family memories of us and mom and dad when he was alive. Like we, like we we of course did other things and we were involved in some school activities, but. A lot of our family bonding time, as well, was like when we did stuff together. It was watch shows. We'd watch Next Gen. Like, granted, when Next Gen started, like it came out the year I was born. So, boom, lucky me. Um, <laughs> like as it went on, like by the time DS Nine rolled out in ninety four ish, sure, ninety three, ninety four. Sure. So yeah, not? around that time, we'd actually start to pay more attention, aside from Power Rangers, which, by the by, still awesome. Uh, Anyways, sorry, <laughs> and then then we got into Voyager, and that was a inter- that was a good time for Trekkies because it was I think they like the start of Next Gen was the start of something no other show had, where it was except for maybe Law and Order, where it was an uninterrupted like thirteen or fourteen year stretch of nonstop television. Yeah, because seven of Seven of Next Gen, seven of DS9, seven of Voyager. There was a planned seven of Enterprise because seven became the goal, but it got to four. And uh, yeah, unfortunately, that was cut short. Yeah, but in that time, there was also like three, somewhere uh, I think five motion pictures in that time as well, at least. Yeah, because you had the three Next Gens, and I think the Vo- yeah, because the Voyage Home. I think that's the fourth one, the sixth one. Generations, I know, was the one where they did the transition between yeah. the two, and that one definitely came out while TNG was still running. It, I, I'm not a. It came out during its last season, and the writers and the showrunners were split between, and both have been like, "Man, we should have just released the series finale as the movie because the series finale for TNG was so they felt was so much better than the Generations movie." Yeah, I don't really remember much about that one, which means yeah. I haven't rewatched it, yeah. which uh, is probably enough of a hint as to like yeah, how good it was or wasn't in my mind anyway. Yeah. But and the reason that made me remember 6 coming out during the time TNG was on was because Worf, the, uh, whose actor I can't uh, Michael Dorn? Michael Dorn. Yeah, Michael Dorn played an ancestor of Worf in that movie as an advocate for Kirk. Oh, that's kind of cool. Yeah. I did so not know th- that. They threw, uh, they threw him a bone. Um, well, not threw him a bone. It was a way of getting like a next-gen cast member, like a current Trek guy in an old Trek movie that was kind of interesting. Um, you mentioned DS9 as the co- time you started watching. And I th- DS9 is an interesting one in Trek uh, fandom, I think, just because it... Like, TNG is in my mind that's what i associate with as trek but that being said and i think ds9 is kind of almost like the pinnacle of what trek in a way could be in the sense of it was the one that kind of cracked the the code onto how how can we have engaging stories where sorry i'm going outside tangent um like so many people hold trek and the current films even any film that's not the boring Trek the Motion Picture as, like, not up to Roddenberry's standard. Roddenberry would have hated this because it was no conflict and all that. And that's boring. 
TNG figured out a way to do it. The movie, the older Trek movies figured out a way to how to have some interpersonal conflict, but his whole thing was like, no, there's no conflict. We've reached a utopia. We're perfect and all that. And the thing I loved about DS9, especially upon rewatching, is, like, you see, like, no, yes, we're in this hypothetical situation, like, in this fantasy, we are better people than we are now. But there's still conflict because people suck. Well, I, I mean, act in fairness, though, I, for the most part, <clears throat> uh, like, when you look at DS9, it's definitely a, a darker show yeah. of all the other ones. There is interpersonal conflict. Like, yeah. that does happen. But I think in a lot of ways, it still maintains that, <laughs> that bright, shiny vision of the future, which um, is really exciting. I mean, I love a lot of sci-fi mm -hmm. um but a ton of it is you know kind of you know just bleak and yeah uh you know almost not 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 post-apocalyptic in genre but yeah. post-apocalyptic in feel it's like oh everything's crappy um and ds9 still maintains that i think what ds9 does really well is that it goes yes humanity has achieved you know this utopian society and lasting peace but we live in a galaxy with other groups of people mm -hmm. who don't share those same ideals who we have to interact with who might want to wage war against us and subjugate us and what how do we stand up for what we believe you know to be true and right what does that look like you know, right. in the face of military conquest. Right. Um, and so I think um, in some ways it's fair to say that DS9 is the least utopian of them all, but also um, I, I think it's it still maintains that, like, bright vision of the future while sort of putting it to the test. Um, and I think the cool thing is that it, it emerges from that okay. Yeah. Um... I guess what I mean by that is if I had a close comparison to another franchise that you and I both love deeply in Star Wars, one of my favorite things out of Rogue One, uh, aside from the whole bloody movie, because the movie's amazing, um, was the finally getting to see, like, no, the Rebels, they had to do some shady crap. Yeah. So their whole thing is, like, we want to overthrow and free the galaxy, but all the movies and the current trilogy because let's be honest first order's the empire <laughs> yeah the resistance is the rebellion and we are still in the original trilogy <laughs> um like well i mean i'm i'm really looking forward to return of the jedi <laughs> which is going to be the third one of the new trilogy yeah, although the last one was an empire strikes back but let's save this for a star wars <laughs> one um but the thing i loved with rogue one is you finally saw like the re the rebels the good guys no they were totally willing and underhandedly getting their hands dirty to accomplish their goals and ds9 in some ways was willing to explore that like that the federation that was held up as the like humanity is humanity is this pinnacle of peace it's this pinnacle of virtue like we are we are advanced we are beyond money and all that ds9 rules out section 31 yeah which what's crazy interesting it might be more interesting on paper than it necessarily was in execution i, I think they kind of overdid it a little bit but, but yeah but when they first brought it in and hinted at you're like what yeah because that's that's not something that had ever really been explored in trek 
but it would line up with human history. It would line up with current human history, and it's something that you could totally believe would still happen, like in this utopia where the Federate, they're in the show, they're like, we do not acknowledge Section the, 31. Well, we also, do not condone Section also, 31. Also, I mean, the vast majority of people mm-hmm. would be appalled by it, Yeah, and yet they've managed to find a small subset of people who are willing to, for the most part, throw their ideals aside in order to defend their ideals. Well... And then you've also got, even though a lot of people are appalled by it, there's not a lot of people who are like, as the show goes on, you find out more in the Federation know about it, where Mm -hmm. they're like publicly against it, but they're absolutely okay in accepting the outcomes because the outcomes favor them. Yeah. So that I found crazy interesting. And then even though Nemesis, not, yeah, Nemesis? It was uh, next-gen movies. It was First Contact. No, Insurrection. Sorry. Insurrection. Uh, Insurrection had a somewhat similar theme where they were just... You were finding some of the Federation Council people were... Well, you had, were you just had starting they... to be like, you know what? Screw it. If this is going to favor us, like... Well, I mean... We're they, willing to ignore well, things. Well, we had, we had the, the evil admiral trope, which is something that comes up with some amount of frequency in Star Trek. Um, Which makes sense, though. Like, yeah, yeah, and yeah, yeah. to give them credit, he wasn't like full on like I'm evil for evil's sake. Yeah, like he made a moral argument where you're like, we can understand. Yeah, and he was being played by the true villain. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, 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 but yeah. you could understand where he was coming from, but it was messed up. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's funny. I've actually. Uh, on the topic of insurrection, as much as it wasn't my favorite movie, yeah. like I've was a read great episode, though. I've read detailed <laughs> arguments as to why actually, like he was right, yeah, and that like the Federation, you know, that Jean Luc Picard and crew were actually in the wrong in that movie, and they were being dumb, and <laughs> you know, and it's like, well, yeah, but they're supposed to be the good guys and condemning people to die. But yeah. anyway, I think I think it was. <laughs> Probably more so the methods of it. It's like, we're going to cloak and dagger sneak these people out of their homes, off their planet, in the middle of the night. Yeah. And then we're going to reap the rewards where it's like, look, if you just try to explain the situation, these people seem pretty chill. Yeah. They might go along with this. (laughs) Yeah. But, yeah, the next-gen movies outside of First Contact weren't that good. No. But, I mean, we still had First Contact, which was amazing. Which was amazing. Um, So... Out of Trek, what would you say is your favorite? Series? Series or movie? Um, well, I'll do movie first because that one's easy. First Contact. Even above Wrath of Khan? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. I just, um, I, I, Patrick Stewart. Yeah. Like, Patrick Stewart, the, um, they just, they do it so well. And I think the, the high point in that movie is when, um, Jean-Luc is in his office and he's adjusting the phaser again. Oh, yeah, this the speech. Yeah, yeah, the speech um of you Not know, again, the line must be drawn. The, here. the line yeah. must be drawn here. Yeah. And um I'm totally going to forget her name. Acting. Um but the lady from Earth at the time, you oh, know, yeah, I can't remember the character's name, but I think her name is Alfred would i don't know i i'm um, sorry <laughs> but and you know she kind of calls him on his crap on his crap and yeah. like you're being ahab here you're sacrificing yeah. uh everything to to get your whale and he realizes that she's right yeah 
which I think was also a de- like not only a good analogy for the character in that, I think it was also done deliberately uh, just because Patrick Stewart had played Ahab oh, in interesting. a TV movie based on Moby Dick. I did not know so that. So it was just a little thing tossed in there. But, I mean, it was just... That scene in yeah. that movie is absolutely phenomenal. And that's what I think raises it to me in terms of... Uh, you know the best the best Star Trek movie. Yeah, I like. I'll be honest, and it's something you and I have talked about a bunch of times. Like, I'm on the record, I guess, as saying like the original series out of the shows I've c- continuously watched is probably my least favorite. Mm. Um, it's just it's hard for me to get into. I don't. I like some of the movies. The movies are excellent, and I like reading about the time and that amazing DS9 episode, uh, Trials and Tribulations, yeah. where they go back and it was for an anniversary, was amazing, and integrating that. But that got me excited, but the thing that got me more excited about it was the technical aspects of recreating something earlier in the 90s, but then also taking these characters that I actually do have a care and attachment to like back with them. I just found the original series very difficult for me to get into not even because of the time like you can forgive stuff at the time because of the time they were created classic doctor who is hard for me to get into just because it's a very different show yeah. than what it is now i love reading about classic who or comics based on classic who but actually sitting down and trying to watch classic who that is tough now uh, the last time we chatted i gave you i haven't had the chance to watch him yet you i'm sorry need i know to. i know um so uh, I mean, I have not watched all of TOS. Right. Um, I kind of want to. There's there's definitely, there's some solid episodes in there. There's some good ones. There's also some that are, like, a little bit tougher to get through is yep. what I'll go with. Um, yep. You know, the pacing's slower, and sometimes that's awesome, and sometimes it drags. Um, well, there's a, there's a difference between a good slow burn and just slow. Exactly. Um, and I think so, some of those episodes are just slow. Um, but there are a couple episodes of TOS that are without question among the best episodes of Star Trek ever right. on television. Yeah. Um, which I've heard. Yeah. Which you <laughs> seriously and I, I will actually see So, um, I mean, I can't remember all of the ones I mentioned to you. There Let me were, see if I there still were, got There the were two specifically. The two that I'm definitely thinking of that you should watch and that you, the listeners, should definitely watch if you haven't um, are Balance of Terror, uh, which is when the Romulans first show up um and it is just it's a fantastic episode it's got this uh, like submarine hunt uh feel to it um and it's just it's absolutely fantastic it's great tense moment um some of the early tos episodes you had kirk is like the super genius and he just like wins by being so much smarter than his opponent and his opponent is an idiot Whereas in this one, they actually made his opponent also be quite smart. I mean, at the end of the day, um, you know, spoiler alert, Kirk doesn't die and he outsmarts his opponent. Yeah. But they gave him a really good opponent as well in the Romulan captain. Which, um, it's always weird to me as I read about classic Trek where people are like, Kirk's so super smart. Where I'm just like, I've never got that vibe from him. Not that I'm like, he's an infidel, or he's he's an invalid, or he's dumb, or anything like that. Like, 
Only only one of those words that you just listed would be correct. Yes, yeah, that's fair. <laughs> <laughs> um, I sometimes words, Dave. Yeah, this is uh, true. This is true. <laughs> but yeah, it's I never got the impression like it, to switch gears for a second. I remember on Friends there was a joke where I think Rachel was trying to bother Ross or somewhere where she was like. Kirk's smarter than Spock, and then Chandler's like, you're joking about that Spock thing, right? I was like, how's that even a conversation? <laughs> like, I've watched the movies. Dude is not Spock's level. It's a different intelligence where yeah. Kirk, I'm like, if you were to describe Kirk as smart, I'd be like, well, yeah, he's street smart. He's very active smart. He's... He's got. I wouldn't a, think of him as math smart, or but no, he's tactically smart. That's, he's got. Yeah. He's got the tactics. Um, I mean, one of the not strategist, but in the moment tactical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's yeah. he's he's got a brilliant tactical mind, and that's something um, I think they've done well in the new movies. Yes, but also one of the things that they did well in the new movies that wasn't always the case in the original series is that in order to make Kirk look smart. Uh, in the original series, they would often just like, okay, now you're going to interact with an admiral who is clearly an idiot. Yeah. Um, because you know the evil idiot admiral that is a that is a tr Trek tradition going all the way back to the beginning. Right. Um, and so it was like, well, yeah, he's smart because everybody around him is an idiot. Whereas, um, I mean, they did a lot of less good things in the in the new movies, but one of the things that they at least did was that. Instead of making Kirk smart because everyone around him is an idiot, they made the people around him smart. And he an just, infidel, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> they made the people around him smart, and he was just smarter. Yeah, um, or smarter in a different way. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and so that was one of the things that they did well. And Balance of Terror, to get back to the episode from our rabbit trail, yeah. um, his opponent is actually smart. Um, the other episode, City on the Edge of Forever. I'm reading the text right now. Perfect, City on the Edge <laughs> of Forever um, is just—it's a phenomenal episode. Uh, it's a time travel episode. Um, Another trope in Trek. Yeah, yeah, it happens Trek a trope. lot. Trek trope. <laughs> Trek um, trope. Which in in that amazing episode from DS9, Trials and Tribulations, I think it's episode 504. So just go on Netflix also, and watch it. Yeah, also it's a time great travel. Episode. Also time travel, and at the beginning of the episode, because they go back to Kirk, they're, the people from the time travel department of Starfleet are like, dude was a menace. <laughs> <laughs> and they list off a bunch of times. Sorry, please yeah. continue. Um, but anyway, it, it's a time travel episode, um, and um, you know they, they go back in time, and they inadvertently um, cause a change that prevents the federation from even being formed and they have to uh solve that but there's a a bit of a moral dilemma um involved i don't want to give too much away right. um but it is just it's it's another it's a fantastic nice. episode great character stuff um it's just it's really good nice um that, so yeah and watch please like, I do yourself a favor and watch those two episodes i will jill and i have just had a very busy time yeah yeah um, um that goes for those of you listening to if you haven't watched those episodes you need to um and the other one i've heard to watch out of classic trek is the i can't re remember the original it's the it, triples episode yeah the triples episode i think it's called the trouble with triples or something trouble with triples trouble yeah. with triples um but in my opinion just watch the superior one Trials and Tribulations. Just watch both. Yeah, watch both. But I mean, it's, DS, it's a funny episode. DS9 really won me over. Like, I, yeah, I love me next gen. Um, 
so your favorite film you said is First Contact. Yeah. Um, what's your favorite series? Uh, DS Nine. Okay. Um, it. I I loved the just Dominion War arc. Um, That's everything. Fair. Um, I mean, the nice thing was you actually had an overarching plot versus a issue of the week type problem, which DS Nine setting really lent lent itself to. Yeah, because it was the idea. Like, what if look it up on um. Uh, I almost said Wikipedia, but that's the Star Wars one. Yeah. Um, but the Star Trek wiki. Um, I wish I could remember the name. Um, Memory Alpha? That's it. Memory uh, yeah, Alpha. Yeah, if you look up Memory Alpha, um, you can read stuff about the seasons and the changes and the changes that the writers and that stuff is all crazy interesting to me. Um, but where they were like, it was the idea of it's a saloon. Where it was, a, it was the Star Trek Western. Where here's the setting where it's a saloon with the same characters, but of course you're going to have people popping in and out. That's what. Yeah. It's so much easier to get revisiting characters. I mean, on Next Gen, you didn't have that many revisiting characters aside from Q, who appear like in first season they used a lot, and then they used him sparingly and better. In later seasons, where he'd show up once or twice a season, uh, listener, you can't see the look on his face—the wrong look on his face. Uh, <laughs> wrong look. Dave is not a fan of Q, which is wrong. No, no. I, well, okay. Yes, I am not a fan of Q. Yeah. No, I am not wrong in my opinion. <laughs> I love Q. Um, and then, like, but outside of him and Luxana Troy, who is nobody's favorite. Oh gosh. Um, and. A couple other characters and Wesley after he left the show as a full-time mm. cast member like they because their whole thing is like we're out on an adventure we're in this corner of space this week and next week we're in another corner right like but when you're on the same bloody place yeah <laughs> the, the whole seven seasons and it like it actually makes sense to have recurring guest characters exactly. who appear and grow and grow yeah, yeah that's the thing you have um everybody I mean, ds9 everybody grew on ds9 yeah like it, it, similar to next gen and voyager but on ds9 it was very different i'd say there was more growth because so like even gold Dukat, like oh. he, he grew exponentially over the yeah. show and i mean not that there's exactly heavy competition for it but he definitely wins the best villain award yeah I don't, um what for other... star trek Oh, okay. I for Star Trek. You, I, for Star I thought Trek. you meant for DS9. I was like, is there many other well, DS9 I, so the like other hardcore villains? The other villain that um, I think is fantastic in DS9 is Wayun. Oh, yeah, Wayun. Um, the clones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's just... I, uh, yeah, yeah no, he's, he's hilarious. He's and fun. that actor... Um, I want to say his name's Jeffrey Coombs, although I could be it, wrong about I that. I think it is. I think it is. Um, he just does, he just does a phenomenal job. He oh, yeah. plays um, a recurring guest character in Enterprise, also fantastically. Oh, okay. Um, but yeah, he he does a fantastic job with Wayun. So I like that's the thing is not only does it have good recurring characters, mm -hmm. DS9, it's got great recurring villains. Yeah. Um, like it's kind of nice when you see the villain and you're like. Oh, I'm happy to see them. Also, you're wait a minute. No, that person's evil. Yeah. Um, I mean, Ducat, they do a really cool thing where for a long stretch of time, it looks like he's got a redemption arc going and like, yeah. you know, there's a little bit of an anti-hero thing working and... Well, and he kind of starts off as frenemies yeah. with them. And it's like, it's not to late, even, even as they're on opposing sides 
on the few times they talk, they're still like frenemy-ish. Yeah, he's kind of a, he's charismatic. Yeah. Um yeah. and so that kind of bleeds through. Yeah. And the other thing that D- uh DS9 did great was redeem the Ferengi. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um which before we segue cuz it that's a great segue point for me. Um <laughs> I'll say I th- like out of the movies, excluding the the new 3. Um uh, the first ten Trek movies, I th- it's it's almost a tie between First Contact and and Wrath of Khan, mm. and it's different. Like both are pretty tied evenly for Trek films, but then taking it necessarily out of the Trek films and putting them up against other movies, they're great movies. They're ones that you can refer to other like to non Trekkies to be like, look, just sit and watch this. It's relatively isolated. You don't need to have a huge foreknowledge of what's going on. Yeah. Um, but then also, I, I can't help but give so much credit to Wrath of Khan, because what, like, it's an amazing, not a, okay, yeah, no, I'll say it, I think it's an amazing film on its own, it's a great film, but then also, in comparison to what came before it, it is one of those sequels where it is exponentially better than what came before it. That's normally not something that happens. Most of the time you're like, okay, you get a good sequel. You might get a good sequel that doesn't hold a can that's still not on the first one's level. Wrath of Khan is like if Trek the Motion Picture is the floor, which it's not that much higher than because yeah, I yeah, think Trek the Motion Picture sucks. Like what, you don't you didn't appreciate forty minutes of just like slow motion glory shots of the Enterprise? No. <laughs> I did not. I mean like, the, oh, the, I'm sure it was great. The best thing that came out of Trek the Motion Picture was the theme for the next generation. Mm, Let's okay. just leave it there. Yep. The score was amazing, the film was awful. Yeah. Uh and there's a reason that Roddenberry was not allowed in for production for the following films. <laughs> Look at Trek the Motion Picture. Um but then Wrath of Khan is a great film. And there is there is a lot of tension between an antagonist and a protagonist who never actually share the screen together. Who are never actually in the same room at the same time going to blows. And it's an interesting thing because it's a guy who's Kirk's physical superior. Because when you think Kirk, you think, I'm going to roll in the dirt and punch the bad lizard costume guy in the face. Or uh, current Trek, because Pine's awesome. Yeah. Uh, but that one, it's like, it made Kirk have to think. It made Kirk have to go outside his box. And then, because in a one on one fight, it's not even close. Khan would mop the floor with him. It'd be almost like the next gen trope of Worf's our strongest guy. Now let's have the new baddie throw him across the room. Yeah. That's what would happen. Uh, so it, you've got a, that aspect. It's a fun movie. It takes track to a different spot than it had been in the show yeah so it's out of the especially the tos movies it's the one i probably go to the most yeah um, I mean, and i mean again it's got a good villain it's got yeah. a smart clever it's, villain that takes and then it it's not like it's a species or anything it's just this one guy who was introduced in the show not even any huge episode from no the show. I've, I've watched that episode and it's a decent enough and it was a one and done episode um it's it's not a it's neither a particularly good nor bad episode. Yeah. Um, but just whoever was behind um, Khan managed yeah. to go like, hey, we can do something with this. Yeah. And did something phenomenal. Yeah. It's uh, I I watch a lot of classic Simpsons because I have seasons four through eight on DVD, and then there was one where it's like Star Trek twelve. So dang tired. 
And then it's like, the Klingons. Again with the Klingons. And that's something that I think the original movies did go... They went to the Klingon well a lot. Because it's Trek 3. The Klingons with Christopher mm. Lloyd. <laughs> and Kirk's son, spoilers, dies. And Spock, in the title, spoilers, comes back from the dead. And then Trek 5, yeah, but I mean, Klingons. On, Trek 6, Klingons. <laughs> Three out of six movies. And then Generations. Guess who shoots down the Enterprise? I'll give you a hint. It's some rogue bloody Klingons. But Chris, like, you haven't heard you haven't heard Shakespeare until you've heard it in the original Klingon. <laughs> like, don't get me wrong. Yeah, yeah. Christopher Lloyd as a Klingon is kind of awesome. It, it was fun. I'll give yeah, it that. Yeah. yeah. No, it's just the original movies and the show, uh, like, I get it. The Klingons were the big bad because yeah. they were at war. But still, it was just a well that they kept going to. And it's something I appreciated with Next Gen and then DS9. Um, less with Voyager. And this is, once I'm done this, this is the segue I was talking about. Um, like, the, the Next Gen movies, the Next Gen show and DS9, like, really tried to introduce other species like to give them credit they try there was the horrible misfire of the ferengi but they were like it was at least trying to do something new it's yeah. like okay we got the vulcans and eight or nine times out of ten the vulcans are are great they're logic they're not jerks um nine times out of ten <laughs> we're not we're not going down this rabbit hole <laughs> um and then it's like there's the romulans they're like they're there they're popular but it they tried other things and ds9 what like ripped open that door to be like here's someone you've never met yeah and the ds9 only like ds9 only once used the borg in a flashback sequence in the first episode and it was great because then you're like man cisco had it rough and then also it's like dang the borg are gangster which they already were yeah 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 uh yeah. tng i I'll give TNG credit. I think they used the Borg the best, and they established, like, an enemy it, probably the best, or at least tied with uh, DS9's use of the Dominion. Right. Uh, so, the segue that was mentioned five minutes ago is now happening now. Uh, <laughs> what do you think uh, were some misfires along the way? In a specific show? In or Trek. Um, so, one that I'll go with in terms of, I think one of the biggest misfires um was voyager not delivering on its concept that's a great um, one and i mean i i've watched voyager all the way through and i i enjoyed it like it's a it's a good series um it definitely has some flaws um it's got you know some bigger ones um but i my biggest problem with it overall was that you know the premise is is that we are so incredibly far away from home and we're on our own and we've got limited supplies and it it turned out to be unlimited over the course of seven seasons <laughs> yeah you know and they never really delivered on that premise for the most part um and i know i've said this before the premise was used to make jokes about how bad neelix's coffee was i think because yeah. they had replicator rations like they delivered on their premise with uh continuous jokes about like neelix's cooking which they all had to eat because they had limited replicator rations and that was about it you don't um, want to include neelix in the misfire um <laughs> i'm kidding uh, he's not 
he's not a terrible character. No. Actually, I enjoyed. He was okay. He's um, not as annoying as some Trekkies make him out to be. Yeah. Um, yeah. I found, actually, character-wise, a, a slightly larger misfire was Kess. Yeah. She just never really did anything until they were like, we're just going to get rid of her. And nothing against the actress. Like Yeah, she, yeah, she just wasn't given much to work with, yeah. I think. Um, yeah. But so that was my... Um, I mean, I enjoyed Voyager, and it's not to say that it didn't have some other issues or whatever. It was, it was a decent enough series. It was fun. Um, but it never... It never properly delivered on its premise. Um, if you watch... I think the one that it often gets compared to um, is Battlestar Galactica, the new one, because Ron Moore... Really? I, I, well, I've never watched Battlestar Galactica, but I've found if any Trek show gets compared to Battlestar Galactica, it's DS9. Well, it's, it's, it's a, DS9 because Ron Moore worked on both. They shared a headline. Um, the... Um, the I think one of the reasons why BSG sometimes gets compared to Voyager is because um, it's a similar concept. And right. It's not entirely the same, but like a, you know, in BSG, uh, all the human worlds get blown up and then they're like running away and they have limited supplies and, right. you know, um, and so there's that. The one that, um, the, the show that I most frequently compare it to uh, would be Stargate Universe, okay. which you haven't watched. No, um, no. I also didn't watch Atlantis, and I, I think, because you and Mom, and then especially you and Matt Percy from Cardboard Koinonia, shout out, um, yeah. like really went through, uh, you're both super into to Stargate. There's so many bloody star <laughs> sci-fi, sci-fi, sci-fi franchises. Well, you know, it's because you're out in the stars. At this point, we could just abbreviate being like, Trek, Wars, Gate. Um, nah, no. Uh, where was I going with that? Oh, yeah, I think I only watched like five seasons um, of SG-1. Like, I didn't even see it when Anubis came in. So right. I was um, just aware of it. But, I mean, in so to give you a, a brief rundown of the premise in Universe... Uh, the you know our group of, of heroes and humans from Earth, um, they get transported onto some ship mm-hmm. um, created tens of thousands of years ago, and it's in another galaxy. Okay, it's not even in the Milky Way, and they are on the ship. They can't control it. It's kind of on autopilot, and it's going where it wants to go. Oh, okay. Um, and they go through. They can't control the ship. They have you know, limited resources that they brought through with them. Um, they can't go back home. Huh. Um, so they're journeying and they've got limited supplies and they can't go back home. And you've got this, um, not that this, a similar thing where you have civilians and military. Right. And there's a little bit of a, a, a kind of, of a power struggle there in terms of like, well, who should be in charge of things? Um, which, not that you would have that specifically on Voyager, but where Voyager had a, a comparable situation was With, the Federation and the Maquis. Yeah, yeah. Um, and Stargate and Star Trek are incredibly different. Yeah. And yet, every time I watch Universe, the entire time what's running through my mind is, this is everything that Voyager should have been. Maybe um, studied it and was like, okay, let's not repeat. Those yeah, mistakes. I I don't know, but it it's just and that's and that for me is a sad thing about Voyager right. because the premise you had so much and it just never delivered on it. Yeah, uh, for the most part, you have one or two episodes that are exceptions to that. Um, Year of Hell, for instance. 
I've heard about that. Um, yeah. Oh, or, wait, no, no it's last year of Hell. Yeah, 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 yeah that's yeah. the two-parter episode, yeah. which is absolutely fantastic. Yeah. Um, and then the other one is, I'm going to blank on the name of the episode, but it's when they run into the uh, Nova-class ship that mm. came through slightly before them. Right. And those guys took a very different turn in dealing with their situation. Yeah. And it it's not to say that I wanted... You know, the crew of Voyager to become these, like... Warlords. Or... These, yeah, like, murderers who kill interspecies... Interdimensional beings to power their warp drive. But also... Um, it was one of the few episodes in which... The situation that they were in... Really played a part in, you know, driving who the characters were... Yeah. And who they became. And, and so... There were a couple episodes that delivered on that premise and were amazing for doing yeah. so. And so for me, it's just like, why couldn't all seven seasons have been this? Yeah, that's fair. Um, um, all right, so I'm going to say uh, a couple of mine. I think the Ferengi and Next Gen were... That was definitely a misfire. Uh, just because, of course, like when you look at the Ferengi, you don't think like this is a threatening, conquering species. So then... How they redeemed them, especially through Quark, yeah, in DS Nine was nothing but a stroke of genius. Because now you're like, there isn't another species like them in Trek. Where them, their their whole thing is like they've made a god out of money, and it's all about profit. Like it's all of it's just about profit. They will do shady things to make a buck. Yeah, but they'll also if it's in their their best interest to make the most money, they will support a good party. Because for that, that's it. Yeah, that's Ferengi. They, and they, they're they the are, antithesis to the Federation. Exactly, because they're still very much a sexist culture. They're still ev they are everything the Federation is not, mm -hmm. but not in terms of being warlike. Yeah. So that was I, I love that redemption. Um, misfire. A, a number came in Voyager. Um, as we were talking about DS Nine, we were like the setting allowed the reoccurring villain to work. Mm -hmm. TNG worked with the Borg as a reoccurring villain greatly. Because it was, they were so few and far between. The Borg showed up, I think, five times on Next Gen. And there was only two times where it was two episodes in a row. Yeah. There was normally a separation of a whole season. So they didn't get, they didn't get ruined. And I'm not, and yeah, in my opinion, the Voyager, the misfire there was bringing in the Borg. On one hand, you're well, like, Well, they brought them in too much. Yeah, because on one hand, you're like, that's great. That's exciting. Holy crap, we're going into Borg space. And then the problem is because you're like, Voyager's going to get home. It's every time we encounter the Borg, the Borg lost their menace. Because it wasn't like we outsmarted them or Q pulled them back or we, like, Jean-Luc, as still somewhat a Borg, gave us an in to, like, trick them, essentially. Or Hugh <laughs> or anything yeah, like yeah. that. Like, it was just they were out and out beaten. And spe the the species four thirty one thing was cool because you're like what yeah yeah but then once you got outside of that it was just like it's this crew who have the power of the writers room yeah and then so uh, look they they were equipped with plot armor <laughs> I mean yeah it's the strongest armor there is exactly exactly like that's the that's the thing um, and then to go back to the DS nine example though like DS nine had recurring villains because the set the the setting allowed it, and it yeah. made sense. Uh, Next Gen re did have reoccurring villains, but it was few and far between. Even the freaking Moriarty. Yeah. Like, he showed up few and far between. And he could have shown up almost... 
not every week, but more frequently, because they use the holodeck all the time. But Voyager, for its first two seasons, had a reoccurring villain who showed up in a bunch of episodes, and it was... Uh, the Kazon dude. The Kazon. Which was it, a it, misfire in terms of frequency, was a misfire. It Like, it was just a misfire. Oh, yeah. For me, Vo- as much as I don't like how much Voyager reused the the Borg, Voyager became something I enjoyed watching essentially around the third, fourth season when they brought in well, the Borg, because then it kind of got more streamlined and more of a focus, I felt. Where it's like, okay, now, Trek, out of any show, has growing pains. Like, normally it's the first first season that's the weakest. Sometimes the second as well. But, and that holds true for TNG Season 1 and a bit of Season 2. Um, Deep Space Nine Season 1 is definitely rough around the edges. But Voyager's first two seasons are, to me, at times unwatchable. Well, I, I think part of the problem is with with the case on is yeah. that... Um, they're not a good villain. No. Um, and, um, one, they're not a good villain in general. Like, I don't, they've got, like, a space fleet and can move around, and yet, in the first, like, ten episodes, they're after Voyager, because Voyager can make water for them. Like, they literally, they want to steal Voyager's water or something, because Voyager has replicators and can make water. It's like, you have ships capable of traveling faster than light, and you can't find water in space. There's lots of it. Weren't you just on a planet that had water? Well, when they first met, they were on a, oh, on a planet right, right. that was like a desert planet for the most part. But like, there's lots of ice in space. Yeah. And you can apparently travel faster than light. Um, so there was that. And also, um, if there was a show, if there is a Star Trek show where it doesn't make sense to have a recurring villain, it's Voyager. Because Voyager is essentially, for the most part, pointing the ship at Earth... And then traveling at warp speeds towards it. Now, yes, they emerge from warp speed every single episode because they, they want to... They watch a constellation. They have to watch or... a constellation or explore a nebula or... And, I mean, they do, in fairness, make the point that, like, look, it's going to take us... 70 years. 70 years to get home traveling at maximum warp. Maybe we should go a little bit slower and we'll find something that will help us shorten that journey. Yeah. So, like, cool, fine, but... As a general rule, if I'm pointing my ship towards Earth and flying at, you know, way faster than light speed, I shouldn't be running in to the same Kazon guy on his ship yeah. every other week yeah. unless he's following me. Yeah. Like, it it just doesn't make sense to have the same Kazon guy be your recurring villain. Yeah. Um, whereas, like, at least with the Borg... They're not running into the same Borg person every week. No, no, exactly. Um, it's it, it's the Borg. We exactly. Are the Borg. Exactly. Um, uh, and so, as much as I didn't like how much the Borg appeared, they made a lot more sense as a recurring villain. Absolutely. Because they occupy oodles of space, yeah. and we know they can travel faster. Yeah. So, it makes sense for them to keep running into the Borg. It made almost no sense for them to keep running into the same three Kazon captains yeah. time and time again. Now, to give Voyager credit, um, and I think you'll disagree, but I'm right. <laughs> um, we'll see about that. My favorite my favorite episodes of Voyager actually have to be the ones with Q. Only because I think I... L- I'm making a face yeah, no, you of really, disapproval. You really don't like Q. No, um, I don't. I love that character. 
He's so fun. Um, he, he's very much a chaotic neutral, and that's what I enjoy about the most with him. Because he just goes up to mess with Jean-Luc, but there's normally a reason that you find out later, aside from just like, ah, I'm feeling pranky. Um, the, the, just so we're clear, the best episode that ever had Q was the DS9 one, where Cisco punched him in the face, and then he never came back ever again. Which... I think it would have been weird if he came back. It it was almost a weird episode. It, I like that episode with Q, but out of Q episodes, it was a weird one because at, suddenly Q is just like, well, I'm kind of in love with this person and I'm chasing her. And it was very ineffective. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. In comparison to Q on Voyager when he has this crush on Janeway, and it's hilarious. Like, Voyager... Voyager had some very comedic moments, but the apex of them was Q. Anytime he flirted with Janeway, I'll, I'll give you that it was outstanding. Um, especially the first time we they meet, where he's chasing the other Q, who's trying to who wants to commit suicide. Um, it was a season two episode. They stumble upon a Q, they who they later name Quinn, just so you're not like Q one, Q two, or anything. Right. Um, and then. When Q is talking to Janeway, he's just like, has anybody ever told you you're angry when you're beautiful? (laughs) And then just showing up in her bed and her freaking out. And then especially the one where you find out like he wants to create a new Q, but he feels it's with humans. Right, right. yeah. yeah, Just trying to pursue Janeway the whole episode just cracks me up. And then they handled it very well because here's a character who could easily take them home and just be and the writers were like how we want to bring Q in but how are we going to do it when he he can solve this problem and then it was John Delancey who's like but he wouldn't they'd, he, they'd be like take me home and he'd be like no that's not how you're getting home that's not how you're supposed to get home and then that's it and then you just get the fun of Q interacting with these characters because I find the thing I like about Q is he makes stuff happen within the show in a very different way than normally happens within the show. So it can get to some interesting, interesting territories. Anyways. Sure. I'm just, I'm not, don't get me wrong. John Delancey does an amazing job. And there are times when he, he like, there are definitely comedic moments that arise because of Q. I will, I I must protest. I I am am not a a merry man. man. (laughs) Yes. Yes. (laughs) Um, So good. Oh yeah. Actually, most of the times when like, (coughs) Um, he Worf interacts with Worf. Yeah, yeah, it's Eat just any it's good hilarious. Books recently, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I just I'm not a fan of Q as a character. Like they basically were like, oh, we're going to make God, but we're going to make him kind of impish because uh, I guess we will. And I I just never, you know, liked it. That's uh, fair. Is is effectively what it boils down to. Um, and I just, I found him annoying for the most part. There were comedic moments, but I was just like, eh. See, I always, like, when I watch Next Gen Season 1, you could probably put in as a misfire. Um, just because it, but I don't want to because Next Gen, to me, is great. Um, it's, I never answered my favorite series, and I think It and DS9 are pretty neck and neck. Okay. Um, there, because there's times where... If I want to just throw Trek on, that's not a movie. I'm going to Next Gen. It's well, the it, comfort. It's the comfortable one. It's the it, chicken noodle soup. <laughs> well, it also has like 
the most, for the most part, one-off episodes. Yeah, exactly. So you can just watch one episode and not care. Exactly. Whereas, Whereas DS9, the one-off episodes are few and far between. And uh, they're the weak points of the series. For, uh, okay, Trials and Tribulations. Try, yeah. Well, those are, I mean, those are the exceptions. And there's some great character episodes yeah. um, in DS9 as well that are relatively one-off. But, like... There's also, you know, a half decent number of kind of like skippable episodes yeah. in there, and the skippable episodes tend to be the one-offs. Yeah. Um, other misfires. Um, uh, to me, Enterprise to an extent, I didn't watch it like you did, so I'm not trying to throw it under the bus. I'm understanding that there were uh, two, debatably two, but definitely one great season and half a good season if not a full second good season but seasons one and two were rough to me the beefs i have with enterprise are tenfold in uh in uh discovery which to me the whole thing is a misfire um just burn that show to the ground <laughs> wow <laughs> sorry sorry no offense to the cast and crew like the cast is uh, i've I've watched the first two episodes. Mm. I could barely get through them. Um, the cast was great. The crew and the special effects are very well done. But sorry, I'm gonna rant. Well, on, we'll, I'm we'll, gonna rant on Discovery. Uh, but Enterprise, it's the issue I have with if you're gonna do a prequel, you have to do it well. Um, and then there's a lot of traps you can fall into with prequels. Where it's like, let's bring out all the references to what's to come so then it can get you excited as a fan. Like, when you're in prequel territory, a lot of the time, like, fan service. A great example of this is the friggin' Hobbit movies. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean... Which, Dis uh, Discovery, um, bleh, but Enterprise, it, it, it had. Um, I like the... I have a love-hate relationship with the Borg episode. Oh, it's so good. It's a really good episode. But it's just, to me, it creates some issues where you can debate which we won't. It, 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 gets a, it gets into a bit of a predestination paradox. paradox which, which when, to me, when you're involving an entity that exists outside of time and space in Q, makes it complicated. Yeah, it, I mean... As a sequel episode to... But Star Trek, just to briefly jump down this rabbit hole, yeah. like, Star Trek has dealt with predestination paradoxes before. Um, and it's it's not the first time it's not the last time um i mean i specifically remember an episode of voyager where and i don't remember the name of the episode but it, it sort of deals with time travel and they get into a sticky situation right because they got into it in the future so they see a ship that's trapped in something and needs help and they try to assist it it and then themselves. they get trapped and it was themselves yeah. they're stuck there in the future yeah. and like literally Janeway has this thing from her like temporal mechanics class or something and it has something to do with like sometimes in time whatever Which, the effect comes before the cause if you're and, and so like as and I'm not saying that that makes predestination paradoxes yeah. okay as a thing but this is something that Trek has done before and is comfortable with. So it's not like this is a new thing to Trek to be establishing 
a little bit of a predestination paradox in an episode involving time travel. But their whole thing is a lot of the time when there is that so much of the time in Trek, they're like, this could be a predestination paradox. We need to avoid this. We don't want to create yeah, predestination yeah, yeah, yeah. paradoxes. Um, and then it's also the for me the difficulty of you're now involved like you're making a predestined point involving something that exist like that was the cause from something outside. Well, your pre you're like then, then the linear the, time. So then it's like here's the circle, and now you're grouping something else. It, well, then you just never should have created the horrible god character of Q, and your problem is solved. Or <laughs> you just take out a line of dialogue at the end that solves yeah. all the problems. Um, uh, the <laughs> to defend to defend Enterprise and Enterprise is oddly enough and um and it it's my it's my second favorite Trek series. To um, give it credit, it had a great cast, a great crew with interesting characters. Yeah. For me, my the, the where I'd consider it a misfire is it got I think it it tried to do its own thing, but while being a like almost a a, okay. a bit of a slave to the continuity actually and then trying to introduce stuff from continuity from further that they never had first contact no. with the Ferengi all that and so, then yeah um, I mean oddly enough most of my first of all the vast majority of my all my problems with Enterprise are contained to the first two seasons. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, of the four seasons, the first two were definitely weaker. There were some good episodes in there. Uh, there really were. But I think for the most part, it actually wasn't... My biggest problem with it was they had this, like, temporal Cold War. Right. Um, which was the main storyline of really the first three seasons. Yeah. It only The only reason I sort of tolerate that timeline... Or that storyline is because it gave season three, which I loved. Um, but um, my problem was was that it felt like they... It, it seemed like that that storyline was twofold. One was it gave them an excuse to not have to worry about continuity as much. Mm -hmm. Because like, oh, well, we've got strange actors from the future time to, trying to influence the past. So things are going to be different than they otherwise would have been. And so like okay, um, it's kind of annoying, right. but I get it. Um, and then the other thing was, it sort of felt like the story of humanity's first proper warp ship and actually going out and exploring wasn't exciting enough on its own. Right, yeah. Um, and I, I didn't like that. Um, season three had the this overarching story of the Zindi and was absolutely fantastic i really liked that um the whole season just felt like this race of um you know we need to we need to solve this before the death star destroys earth oh sorry the the zindi weapon um yeah but it's still the fantastic 431 thing um <laughs> and then the other thing is season four has some of the absolute best episodes of star trek period um, there are some, there's some really good, just classic Trek. Like when yeah. you think of Star Trek, the TNG or the TOS, this going out and exploring yeah. and learning new things yeah. about the universe and about ourselves. Um, season four of Enterprise has some absolutely great stuff on that. And you get to see the beginnings of the forming of the Federation. You get to see humans coming into their own and you know, um, 
being diplomatic mm -hmm. in terms of solving problems between other species. Right. And it's a great... Um, it's a great stepping stone to see how the Federation eventually gets formed. Right. Um, that part is really cool. It's also really nice because especially in the first three seasons, humans aren't perfect. Like, we're close, um, but we definitely have some shortcomings, and you can see them get over those, right. um, which is just really exciting. Um uh, before we segue into uh, why Discovery is awful, because um, <laughs> I, I just hate it. I hate Discovery. Um, I hate's a strong word. I just really, really, truly don't like it. Um, one thing that is, uh, I think a lot of the fan base uh, considers this a giant misfire. Um, and I get it, but I can understand the position that the producers were in, is the Enterprise series finale, where... Now, to be fair... Yeah, um, that, uh, what, what season finale? I don't know what you're talking about. Okay. It never happened. No, no, no. See, now, here's the thing. Um, as I've read it, and it's something I liken to almost the, the, the Office, where in season nine, you had a two-parter and then the, the two-part series finale. And then I look at it like the two-parter before, that was the season nine finale, because... The series finale was like we're a year later, mm. or roughly that, and that's how we're ending. And then the producers were like, "That was our intent," because by that point they were like hoping that it would get renewed for a fifth season, but it became they became aware well, that it was not going to happen. Yeah. So I mean, so then they were like, the, "Well, what happened was with that specific mm -hmm. episode." Um, was effectively because when Enterprise was being ended, um, they it was the end of Star Trek on television, exactly. and it was the end of so to get to years to give them like to to apply the context, like Nemesis had bombed, it had just bombed in theaters because this was two thousand three or four. Nemesis came out in two thousand two. It was going up against Lord of the Rings. And there was an unfortunate track record with the next-gen movies of each one did less mm. significant, like, less well financially. Yeah. So Nemesis kind of came and went. It bombed out of theaters. So they weren't sure what was going on with the movies. And then Enterprise was canceled. So yeah. that whole huge Trek renaissance that had just happened from 1987 onwards where the film franchise was dead in the water... And now the TV one that was also going concurrent with that was now dead. Yeah. So to them, it's like we kind of they, have they, to say a they, farewell to they the They wanted They wanted the series finale of Enterprise to serve as a... Possible uh, As a Star Trek finale. Yeah. Um, yeah. But they were limited to a one-hour episode instead of the two-hour one that they wanted. Um and so instead of a good series finale for Enterprise, we got a um, uh, a holodeck episode of TNG. Yeah. Um, and it, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, as I've read, like, I think some people, ha like the producers, uh, Rick Berman and I can't remember, but who had kind of, Rick Berman was shepherding Trek. Um, from midway through TNG, like he was um, the creator. 
Roddenberry? Yeah, I'm brain farting. Like, fully brain farting. Wow. Yeah, no. Uh, I don't think you're allowed to put this episode on (laughs) your podcast. I I said Roddenberry earlier. It might have been negative, but I said it. Um, (laughs) Like, Roddenberry... Like, he had been right-hand man to Roddenberry uh, Mm. from Next Gen's first season. Yeah. And then as Roddenberry stepped back, Berman stepped in more... And I think it was Brandon. I think it was Braga. Um, yes, Brennan Braga. Brennan Braga, and both these guys. I think they had a lot of good intentions, but it's also interesting with the Shrek at that period. It was going through a weird time of it had been on the air consecutively for thirteen or fourteen years. Each season, be like sixteen or something. Something, if it ended yeah, because three. Right, yeah, because it was in eighty-seven. So the films were doing less well financially. And the shows, rating-wise, were doing less well. Like, you, yeah, yeah, yeah. As you compare DS9 to TNG, as it's going, viewership dropped. And then as you compare later seasons of Voyager to DS9, viewership was dropping. And then Enterprise started well. But there's definite fatigue there. Yeah. Because um, <laughs> it was going nonstop in film and on TV. So they get a lot of crap. Like they get a lot of crap, but I can that move I can definitely understand. But it might have benefited if they had done a clearer job of the preceding episode being the clear like season finale. Yeah, and then somehow done a well. And I mean, I know like a lot of like I make the joke of like uh, oh what what yeah what finale, and there are people who. In, in some ways, rightly or wrongly, um, consider the preceding episode to be the series finale for Enterprise. And, yeah. I mean, it, it, it functions half-decently as one because they sort of resolve their issues, mm-hmm. um, you know, and are ready to take the first stepping stones towards creating the, the Federation. Um, you can kind of see that uh, by the end of the fourth season where it's clear where this is yeah. headed. Um, and so it's not... It's it it wouldn't be a great finale, but like it's a semi reasonable one. Yeah. Um, well, for any show that kind of finds out midway through shooting that it's not, yeah, you can't bang. It's not like Next Gen, DS Nine, even Voyager. Like they knew they were getting seven, and they knew they were stopping in seven. Like, yeah. It was a show decision to stop. Yeah. So they could resolve it as greatly as they wanted. Mm-hmm. Enterprise was going for seven. It didn't make it. Yeah, which is sad because um, what they could have got to, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I really am sad that we're not going to get the stories that they would have told in those following seasons. Uh, you've got the Earth Romulan War, yeah, um, that would have been really interesting, and then of course the actual. Um, hopefully, eventually, they would have touched on the actual founding of the Federation, yeah. uh, which would have been great. There was also a planned episode where it would have been uh, how the Borg kind of got the Queen. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. That's which is one that, which is weird in Enterprise, but well, like, they whatever. Back the Borg and people loved the Borg as much as um, Voyager yeah. kind of lost some of their luster. Um, all right, so I'm going to I'll say it briefly. Uh, to me, Discovery is a giant misfire. I, I don't like it. So, I'm not... Okay, I can't defend it, defend it. Um, I, I will say a couple things. One, you should have... You should watch more than the first two episodes. I'll try. Um, I made it to the mid-season break um, of the first season, and it definitely got better. 
Right. Um, and I've heard that the second half of that first season gets even better than that. Um, so it, it definitely improves, is what I've heard. Um, I don't know because I haven't watched it yet. So at the end of the day, I didn't... I don't despise it. Um, but I didn't enjoy it enough that I ever bothered going back right. to the mid-season break. I've watched stuff with the cast. Um, and it's... You know, it's clear to me that there's a lot of people who love what they're doing, mm -hmm. who really enjoy Trek. Um, you know, you see interviews and stuff with people, and they talk about like you know some of these these characters, uh, like the the cast members are what like watched old Trek, yeah, in order to you Carl, know Carl Urban is a guy from the movies who is like a Trekkie. Yeah. Because he will bust out, like, deep cut references. Yeah. Simon, uh... Simon Pegg. Simon Pegg, same thing. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not, it's not like a guy... It's almost like on the Marvel front when you... Or any comic book movie where you come across a guy who's read more than, like, the ten recommended issues right. to get a grasp on the But, I mean, you character. get... Like, there are... And there are... Some of, the, some of the actors in the series come in and, like, yeah, when they were cast, they had never seen yeah. an episode of Star Trek in their lives. But then they were like, oh, I'm gonna, like... Do my homework. Do my homework. Yeah. And then they get like a couple episodes into insert series here. And they're like, oh, this is amazing. Yeah. I love this. Um, and so there's a ton of people involved in it who seem, who yeah. legitimately enjoy Star Trek. Um, and I mean, I know one of the issues you have with it, which is one of the issues I have with it, which is the Kl how the Klingons look. Oh my goodness. Um, uh, well, to be clear, to be clear, why I consider it such a misfire is that... It, it, it's mostly writing. Yeah. Um, it's nothing to do with the, the cast or crew. Like, I, I'm i intrigued. But it, to me, where it's a misfire is, is that it, I've got a lot of issues with the writing. Um, Trek itself is a franchise that, like, really almost prides itself on how much it sticks to continuity, for the most part. Yeah. Because the Trekkies will rip them a new one. Anytime they deviate from continuity. Yeah. It's why Trials and Tribulations was so painstakingly recreated. Because they had to recreate everything. Yeah. Because they're like, none of the sets exist anymore. None of the props exist. Or very few. We have to track them down. Because they will kill us, essentially, if we do this wrong. And with Discovery, I feel like you can tell there's a care here. But it's almost like there's not the care to the continuity well, that there should be. The the effectively what they did, um, for better or worse, um, and I think you and I are both on the worst side yeah. uh, of this, but is that they threw out visual continuity. So they hugely. So uh, and I mean, uh, you can. I don't agree with that decision, but I can understand ish ish mm -hmm. i can understand the concept of like look it's not like we're like technology has improved since the original series was made yeah and we would rather make a show that looks really good than try to make something that looks like tos which and when is... people such as yourself mm -hmm. say one of the reasons one of the reasons that I have a hard time watching TOS is because, like, well, how it looks sort of pulls me out. I can I can understand the impulse. No, no, I and I I can understand trying to like 
television is a very different medium now yeah. than it was in TOS, and it's still an evolving medium from the time it was in TNG. Yeah. But we're not talking, like, there was a big difference between the Klingons in the motion picture series yeah. and TOS. Uh-huh. And then they found a way to address it without addressing it in the DS9 episode. And then in Enterprise, they figured out a way to incorporate that into it. Yeah. The Which was fantastic, not, by yeah, the way. It's not even just the visual. It's not even, I mean, like the visual. It's also like, that's a huge visual. Oh, yeah. I'm not even talking like special effects wise, because I get it. You've got a much higher budget than any Star Trek show you've had before. Yeah. Or you're taking what they did from... Uh, prelude to Axanar and doing great special effects on a limited budget because um, yeah. you can do that um, but it's it's not even like here's great special effects it's like here's everything different the ships barely if at all resemble the ships that came before yeah, yeah. like the Klingon warships look drastically different yeah um, the Klingons themselves frankly look terrible and look nothing like right the Klingons from, that you're going to see it in continuity yeah. in years later. And to my knowledge, they haven't really done anything to try to address like how these things look so different. And the aspect of the main character, Michael, being Spock's stepsister, I have a lot of gripe with. Because Spock's a main character who mentioned his family pretty often. Like, we knew his family. We knew his family. So here's this unnamed character that we've never mentioned before that we are now going to shoehorn in. And then in the second season, bring in Spock. I I don't... So I, I'll, I disagree with you on this one. On the one hand, I think it was unnecessary. Um, it could it, To me, it could have been like, any... A okay. Vulcan stepchild, I'm or like a human stepchild to a Vulcan... I am absolutely fine with, but it's then it's okay. a thing with previous movies where it's like where prequels and stuff where it's like let's force this connection to someone from before so we can then get the care that you have for them I, on this. I don't character. necessarily like. Okay, there are, there are good valid reasons why it makes sense to have um, Spock's family to be the adoptive family. Um, one being that you know Spock's father is married to a human woman, mm-hmm. um, and I can definitely see there being a reason why um, he wouldn't talk about it. It's a, I actually just I'll say three weeks ago watched the episode that introduces Spock's parents, mm. um, and when Spock um, when Kirk meets Spock's parents. He doesn't know that those are his parents, and Spock is never like, "Oh, this is my father, Kirk." Um, it's I think I think it's Spock's mother who has to be like, "Well, he's our son." Um, and there's this, um, at least in that episode, there's definitely a gulf in the relationship between Spock and his dad, mm-hmm. and it gets resolved over the course of the episode. Um, but there's some distance there, and so I can see there being a. Um, like, the Vulcans are quite private. Um, and I mean, clearly, Spock doesn't even think it's necessary to introduce the Vulcan ambassador as being his father. Um, so given that, I don't think it's... It's 
it's not entirely unreasonable to have Spock have had a stepsister, an adopted stepsister that he never mentioned. It is it likely? No. Well, also but it's Spock not died on screen and his family showed up for but, that. But like but yeah, but maybe she dies later. Like we don't you know the point is is I don't think it's entirely beyond the pale. Right. Um is it the best decision? No. But it's not it's not unbelievably it's not unbelievable. Right. It effectively is what it boils down to for me. Um so that part's fine. Um the visual thing with the Klingons um, drives me nuts. Yeah. Largely just because it it's so unnecessary. And I think, and it almost speaks to, I think, oddly enough, what defined a lot of Trek, especially TOS um, and even other series, was the limited budget that they had. Whereas now technology has come so far that, like, you see interviews with the guys on, like, the arts team and the costume team uh, for Discovery, and between 3d printers and like the stuff that you can do on a computer now they can do whatever they want um so now it's an excess and now it's an excess where they basically let the art and costuming team they were like go do whatever the heck you want be free and no one at any point ever thought that hey maybe we should like rein them in whereas to give again total kudos to prelude to axanar that's a great way to have earlier Trek ships look like they did in TOS, but in better definition. Yeah, um, and I mean, I don't know how uh, familiar... So if, you, so if you're listening yeah. to this and you don't know what the heck Prelude to Axanar is... Look it up. It's a fan film on YouTube. It's about 20 minutes. It is friggin' excellent. Yeah, it is not It is not even remotely canon. No. Um, well, I, it, I mean, okay, it's not canon because it's not official, and yeah. therefore it's not part of the actual story. But it could be. It, it could be. the. Yeah. Yeah. It's incredibly well done. It's, it's about the earliest skirmishes between the Klingons and the Federation. And, the Federation. Um, and it was inspired by, like, the creators didn't like the new movies too much. So they're like, this is how you could do Trek on a, a similar budget. Where visually, it looked a lot like the Trek 09, Into Darkness, and Trek Beyond. But it was to them much more true to the spirit of Trek. It, mani- it managed to have updated visuals while still looking like it belonged in the same yeah. universe as TOS. Yeah. Whereas Discovery, not at all. Yeah. Um, and for me, it, like when they first announced Discovery, before they announced what Discovery would be, they were like, there was a lot of thoughts going around. And I loved the idea. At one point, it was being discussed as an anthology series where I'm like, friggin' color me interested. Because that, because there's a lot of periods where if you can do a prequel but keep it limited, I think that serves it. Where it's like let's focus on this period in time for a mini run of five to ten episodes or less. I'll say I've said it before and I'll say it again right now. The episode run should serve the story should inform the episodes, not the episode run informs how long the story is. Mm. Um, and then if you wanted to visit stuff about the Enterprise B that we only saw in Generations for all of five minutes. Or C. Or C, which we saw in the amazing episode yesterday's Enterprise. Yeah. Shout out. Fantastic episode. Um, like that, that would have been interesting to me. But with the visuals and all that, I'm just like, you guys should have just done a Star Wars legacy idea. Star Wars? Star Wars. Yeah, no, no, no. Oh. It's, it's a specific reference. Uh, before Marvel sold, before uh, Disney bought the rights to Star Wars and then bought the uh, the comic rights from 
Dark Horse. Dark Horse and sold them back to Marvel. Dark Horse was running the Star Wars comics. And then there was, in the books, there was a legacy line of books. But then it was inspired, it then inspired the comics run, where Star Wars Legacy takes place roughly 100 to 160 years mm. after Return of the Jedi or one of the most recent points in the books. So it's far enough removed that they, it was borderline carte blanche with they could do whatever they want okay um it's star wars so the story is cyclical in nature it's always like the jedi are few in number and the sith are taking over there's an empire and there's a rebellion that's star wars in a nutshell but it was removed enough that it didn't have to be a slave like really be a slave to stuff that came before it it could work in organically references to the past but without being like crap we've got to honor the past well we're in this position now where not only we have to serve the continuity for what came before us, we can't dent or ruin the continuity for what's coming after. Right. And I think um, kind of to, to sort of ish touch on that, like to relate it back, um, is that yes, it can be really difficult to tell a story and be a slave to continuity. Mm -hmm. But sometimes when you allow yourself to be confined by that, yeah. you end up with really good storytelling. You can. Um, you so can. far, I just yeah. haven't seen it. Yeah. Admittedly, um, like but, I said, I've watched two episodes. But I think <laughs> part of the... No, but I, actually what I'm saying is part of, I think, the problem with Discovery mm -hmm. is that they didn't allow themselves to be confined right. by some at least visually yeah. they didn't allow themselves to be defined by to be confined by the canon enterprise got really good when they stopped giving themselves an out to ignore canon mm. right the first two seasons i found were really weak and it was they had this temporal cold war that allowed them to you know oh well we can do an episode about the insert random thing here that they should have no business knowing about right um because we have an excuse where season four when they were finally done with the temporal cold war business it got really good um and star trek i found has when they not always but oftentimes when they allow themselves to be confined by the canon they get good storytelling out of it and when they just decide that they can do whatever they want yeah they get so excited being able to do whatever they want that they forget to tell a good story. Yeah. To me, Discovery has been a misfire. Um, one of the things, and I'll ask you this after I've said this, um, it's not what I wanted out of Star Trek. So out of the future of what I want out of Star Trek, at least on the television front, because I don't know what's going on with the movies. Because right now, Trek number four of the movie is in limbo. Because Chris Pine has apparently walked away because Paramount wants to play it cheap. Mm. Um, they were bringing back George Kirk from the dead, so Hemsworth was coming back, but they want to do it on the cheap with him, so both are like, we're out. And I don't know how you're going to do that movie without, especially without Kirk. Yeah. Um, so the movies are kind of up in the air. What I want out of Trek, and we might get, to an extent, out of the Jean-Luc Picard show, which I am thrilled about. That is the most exciting Trek news for me out of the most recent years. Um, is, I think... So many people are eager to get back to the main universe after Trek. Like, it should be in the Prime universe and not in the Kelvin timeline. Mm. Where I'd be excited about that story. Not because it's in the Prime timeline, but because you had an event in the start of Trek 09 that, to me, shakes up Trek the and shakes up the galaxy. The Romulus. Romulus is done. 
and they've explored it a bit in the comics, and I'm understanding about in Trek O Nine, uh, in Trek the, the Online, Star Trek Online. Um, um, that is what they deal. They yeah. deal with the fallout of that. Like so, that to me is a huge storytelling perspective. Where if you want to incorporate, in, I know people are like, action, don't incorporate action in Trek. Action has been incorporated into Trek since Wrath of Khan. But if you want, and onwards, but if you wanted to do that more organically, that represents it. Because you're now in a universe without Romulus, without Romulus Prime. Prime. These adver uh, adversarial species is now gone. Well, yeah, maybe they're not gone, but they're certainly but dealt a, they a, are a major blow. Possibly on the, possibly on yeah. the verge of extinction. That is a power that is now removed. So that create like, like yeah, that's creates a, vacuum, a power vacuum. Which you've got the warlike Klingons who have been at war, in peace, at war again, and then at peace with the Federation. <laughs> yeah. Who might be like, we're season control. We're gonna take this sucker. Yeah. Um you could easily incorporate like the Borg is like, you know what, they're weak, we're gonna do this. They could easily do it. You could come up with a way to have the Dominion try to come back, whether or not that would be good. I'm not saying. Oof. But and that part would probably be the weakest, admittedly. But that, to me, that setting creates so much story potential that it makes no sense to me why we're still in the, the prequel territory. Right. And I mean, uh, based on where the Romulan Empire was, too, you could have other... Um, you have space for some other exactly. species or power uh, to seize control from from the other side of the Romulan Empire. Mm -hmm. You know, in the Beta Quadrant or whatever. Exactly. You can create. You can introduce the new villains. You've you've got so much opportunity there. And then if you wanted to further remove it from, like, I the I, other hope is it, not hope, but the other thought is like if you wanted to further remove it from Trek 09, but still have that be the point you could do the legacy thing and set it like 160 yeah. years later where the klingon ships can look like they do in discovery <laughs> yeah i think the i think the, <laughs> the issue with going further forward into the future um and which was one of the reasons why enterprise went back um is that especially you got this is it became the case as you went further and further in voyager or in star trek in general voyager just being the biggest example of this mm -hmm. was the um, episodes that revolved around Technobabble. Yeah. Uh, insert techno problem here. Now we, by the end of the episode, we figure it out and we resolve it. Insert Technobabble here. Um, and the other thing was you had, you know, by the time you get to the end of Voyager, you know that in the future there's a temporal prime directive and there's a group of people who go through time to make sure that, like, we observe the timelines and... As the technology improved, quote-unquote, going through the show, mm -hmm. you had more and more episodes that really revolved around technology as opposed to, like, finding a good character-based story here. Now, is that a problem of Trek, or is that the problem of writing? Um, I, I think it's a little, a little of A, a little of B, okay. um, in that it's not a problem with Trek specifically, but as you get more and more of it, one, it becomes it's a temptation that it's easy to fall back on as a writer. And two, um, I mean, if you go too far forward into the future, you now actually have to address the fact that you have like a group of people whose job it is to monitor the timelines. Right. Right. And so that's not something you can necessarily easily ignore if you're 
gonna follow the continuity of what was established in say Voyager where you had uh, Captain I can't remember his name who was always upset with Janeway for screwing up the timelines um, no, 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 no. He was some like captain guy from the future who was uh, always coming back to be like, you're messing things up. Um, and he was a Federation guy because the Federation, you know. Um, and so the one thing that I fear with going, especially if you go 150 years into the future again, mm-hmm. is that not that you will, that you have to fall into all these traps, but that it's going to be a lot easier to fall into those traps. I like the idea of jumping forward again because it gives us space to tell the stories we want to tell. Yeah. But uh, you run the risk of falling into a lot of the same traps you did before. And the difficulty with Trek in comparison to something like Star Wars is because it's based on Earth and Earth history. You can do another Star Wars thing and do Knights of the Old Republic where you go backwards and it's so far removed because then you're like, well, we're now just in Earth history and this is pretty boring. Yeah, well, <laughs> no, you just go back to yeah. the 1960s. That's what boring. they always do. <laughs> um, so what are what are your hopes out of Trek? Like, and uh, Jean-Luc show? I, I, for the most part, um, I, I, in entertainment in general, do my absolute best to avoid all news about right. anything. Um, Here's the news. There is a yeah, Star no, no, Trek show that, coming that out is, Jean-Luc. That's the only Yeah, news. no, no, I know. Um, but for the most part, I don't want to set expectations. Yeah, I don't fair. care about rumors or, or early script things or whatever because whenever it eventually arrives, I just want to enjoy it on its own merits. That's fair. Um, so, you know, I mean, um, Jean-Luc's cool. So hopefully the show is good. I would like to see Discovery get better. Um, I'm hoping it does and that I'll get back to it. I mean, um, I had the opportunity to watch the second half of the first season and I never really bothered. But let's be clear, um, most of the Star Trek seasons, or most of the Star Trek series, had a really weak at least first season, if yeah. not first two seasons. Yeah. So I don't think it's unbelievable for Discovery to course correct course correct and become a really good show um that's because that's the one thing that's currently ongoing um that's the thing that i most hope for um the one or two random bits of stuff that i've heard from season two makes me less hopeful but we'll see what happens um you know uh, again i generally try to avoid most of that stuff so that i don't come in with preconceptions um and so I, I think that's what I would most like is largely just because that's currently ongoing. I would like that to get good. Get good. <laughs> well, or get better, like improve. Um, you know, like I, I that involves me complimenting the I show. I want to. <laughs> I want like I, I want to want to go and watch it and get caught up. Yeah, um, is effectively what I'm saying there. Whereas right now, I don't dislike it, but I. I guess at the end of the day, I don't really care all that much. That's fair. Um, and I want to care. I want to know what's going to happen. Um, and so, yeah. That's fair. Uh, all right. I'll quickly close with a couple others I thought of um, out of my kind of wish list. Uh, with the Jean-Luc show, I like I you know it's going to take place after Enterprise. Uh, after next gen maybe it'll just be uh, a big long all holodeck episode 
with Patrick Stewart playing every role. Um, now, I'd love to see uh, them to. I'd love the opportunity to revisit some of the next gen characters because I love those characters. Um, I'd especially love Q to show up. Um, I know you would disagree, but I, the John Luke and Q dynamic is one of weirdly one of my favorite things from next gen. Uh, the The way they play, the way those two play off each other is always entertaining to me and the few times that they have inter and some of the times they've interacted in the idw ongoing comic series like the writers and artists have captured that dynamic perfectly so whenever i see it i want it more and you can also play on you could probably definitely make a joke in there just because there's a line in next gen uh in the first episode with the borg q hugh or q hugh q who where he says, um, like, I am ageless, Picard, you are not. John Delancey has aged decently well. <laughs> Patrick Stewart has not aged at all. <laughs> <laughs> so, I th and Delancey's like, I'd love to come back, but I've aged. Like, you're... We're going to have to address this We're going to have to address this. And I was like, if you're ever going to address it, addressing it with Picard would be the way to go. Mm. Um, and I, I just hope for an entertaining show. Movie-wise, uh, I want them to figure it out, because as much as uh, Beyond was great. I, Beyond was fantastic. Um, I loved it. And I don't think we're in the minority, but it's not. there's not a majority. Uh, I think a lot of people are just still angry about yeah, um, 09, and then especially Into Darkness. I, which... Um, I, and if, if you can just like get past those two... Um, I really, really... Beyond was fantastic. I really dig Trek 09. Um, but its problem was, because it's like, we're in this brave new world where we're free from continuity. They're like, not really, because we have to establish. So we're, sl uh, they're not a slave there to continuity, but it's, we've got to establish. So it didn't get to explore its own territory. And then Into Darkness, I still enjoy. There's elements that I really like. And friggin' Benedict Cumberbatch's con, I'll take. I will happily take. Because his performance, I loved. Um, but its problem was, it's like, it's a slave to Wrath of Khan. Yeah. So, Beyond was the first of the new three that got to live up to its premise of being its own thing while still honoring Trek. It was the most Trek. It had a captain's log for more than a minute. Yeah. It started with a captain's log. Oh, it was great. Um, and, and, and it was a captain's Beastie log. Boys destroying stuff, which I was fine with. Well, not only that, it was a captain's log... Uh, chock full of references yeah. to TOS. No, exactly. And I, I really dug Beyond. And I know yeah. some people, the sticking point was Beastie Boys destroyed it. I'm like, that's a reference to the movie. Like, the current movies and how just there. And I'm like, it's light, it's fun. Is it dumb? Yes. But it's it's not the dumbest thing I've ever seen in Star Trek because it didn't involve going back in time to save some bloody whales. Because <laughs> the satellite shows up that only speaks whale. And let's be clear, that's <laughs> In the top half of the better half. Like, that is one of the better movies. <laughs> it's one of the better Trek movies. Like, it's dumb, but it's it's fun. It's it's a well-made movie, a very well-made and very I'm just surprised that the movie. international... Tra the What is it, the international translator? Universal communicator. <sighs> Universal translator can't speak whale. Like, yeah. for real? Like, when you take that premise off the paper, you're like, this is pretty dumb yeah um, look, just save the whales my friend yeah no and the next if logically the next one then trek 05 should have been about recycling saving the universe yeah yeah, yeah. 90s uh, <laughs> we've digressed uh so 
while Beyond would have been a great note to hop out on, I'd love, movie-wise, for there to be at least one more in the Kelvin timeline to wrap it up. Uh, and kind of, if it's back to the Prime Universe, then awesome. But I'd love a, a way to just kind of give a good note to, to leave that one off. Yeah, I mean, Like beyond, a planned note. Yeah, Beyond, I mean, Beyond was, it was I great. really enjoyed it. Yeah, it no, was really it, good. Um, one Trekkies, of these, you're going to come for me, even though I'm one of you for the most part. Uh, I put Beyond in my top five Star Trek movies. Just remember, when you come for him, he couldn't even remember Roddenberry's name. Even though I said it earlier, disparagingly, because he was limiting and some of his story ideas were boring. He made Trek the motion picture, and it's one of the worst Trek movies. Just remember that when you when you, when you you come after him. That That's was... right. I put Trek the motion picture roughly around the level of Trek 05. Oh. Wait, not Trek 05. Trek 5. Final Frontier. The one that Shatner directed that is terrible. No. Um, it's terrible. Is the motion picture as terrible? No, but it is so boring. <laughs> uh, Roddenberry. Um, but anyway, <laughs> sorry, um, I do, I do like Beyond. I, like Beyond, <laughs> I, I really liked. Um, it would, yeah, it was, it was great. It also it tied in really nicely with um, Enterprise in terms of some yeah. of the continuity there yeah, and that sort of thing. It and again, I think. This is another example of Trek being good when they honor continuity. Yeah. Now, also, but to give uh, Into Darkness some credit, I, I like I have to give it. They had a number of Trekkie moments. They, the working in of triples made sense. The reference of Section Thirty One I loved because that, and it was also similar to how that Section Thirty One operated in DS Nine times. Yeah. Where it's like black the blops of Trek. Uh, so working in those things, which unless you watched through DS9, you had no idea who the hell Section 31 was. And the triple is a decent callback. Um, it's definitely the worst of the three. Oh, yeah. yeah but yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. to me, it's not even, it's, it's still more enjoyable than Final Frontier, Search for Spock, and uh, Trek the Motion Picture. I'd have to, I'd have to rewatch some of those. I and mean, generations. Okay. Um, it's, I mean, okay, the motion picture is boring. So um, but at least there's an original story there. No, that's fair. That's um, fair. Where there really there there isn't an, an into darkness. No, that 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 um, is fair. Oh wait, you mean Kirk dying and Spock being the one to yell Khan isn't original enough for you? That was I. To, that or was John Harrison being a misdirect. <laughs> I mean, that was one of the Khan things being I a enjoyed. white dude. The, Which, well. although he was in Wrath of Khan, <laughs> wasn't he kind of like Hispanicy? Well, he was very Hispanic looking uh, in Starseed, but he was very Caucasian and buff. In yeah, at no point did he ever look like he earned British. the last name Khan. Yeah, but no. you know, uh, whatever that no, that no. is Trek. Yeah, that's that's Trek. Um, cool, Dave. Thanks for having the discussion with me, Trekkies. I honestly do consider myself a Trekkie. I do love this franchise. Don't come at me too hard. Uh, we are a very fickle fan base, and up until recently, I'd say we were the most fickle fan base. Although the other fan base I'm very much in, uh, Star Wars, gives us a run for our money in so, terribleness. So what you're saying is, is we should have a new competition between Star Wars and Star Trek. Well, we uh, are of whose fan base can be more fickle. No, I think we should become less fickle. <laughs> And the Star Wars fan base needs to ease up on attacking actresses for playing a part. Um, so what you're saying is, is we should let the you know uh, high ideals of Star Trek inform us. 
Yeah, maybe. Okay, I don't know. Yeah, maybe. Very, or or Q. That's the moral of the story. <laughs> the no, the the moral of Q's story is have infinite power and be kind of a jerk with it. But a jerk who helps people do right things in the end. Yeah. No. I I I think you know if if you want yeah. He did the right thing in the end in a number of his episodes. <laughs> While stirring the pot, that was so much fun to watch. I th- actually, um, I think the moral of Q's story is get Worf to say, Sir, <laughs> I protest, I am not, not a, a merry man. man. Or what can I do to prove to you that I have no powers? Die. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, so Dave, thank you for joining us. Just to give people an update, aside from being my brother, uh, what are some of the things you do? Uh, well, I'm an accountant, um, which is my job. That's what I you know do do for work yeah um i uh, also like board games sure. um so to give another shout out to cardboard koinonia um matt and i chatted about board games recently so you we're just on one of their uh their not a vlog but uh, yeah, yeah one of their youtube videos yeah. um so if you like my sweet wonderful voice you can hear <laughs> some more of it there um you can also actually see what he looks like uh, yeah, but, you know, really, yeah. it's the voice. Um, <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> uh, yeah, so uh, I enjoy board games, uh, Ultimate Frisbee, and then the other thing is um, I work uh, as the treasurer for a small charity. Nice. Um, we're called Bolivian Children Foundation. We work uh, with an organization in Cochabamba, Bolivia, that runs two kids' homes, um, and so we, we work with them uh, looking after... Uh, kids from a, a variety of backgrounds who can't be with their parents for for a variety of reasons. Uh, some of them are orphans. Some of them um, have been removed from their homes because uh, it's not safe for them to be there. And others, it's just a case of you know the families can't feed them. Mm-hmm. Um, so we uh, with with our partner organization down there in Bolivia, we uh, have two homes: a boys' home and a girls' home, where we care for them. Um, and uh, yeah, it, it's absolutely great. So Bolivian Children Foundation. And uh, dear listener, if you'd like to check them out and get more information, I'll make sure. Uh, do you guys have a website? Yeah, we do. Uh, BolivianChildren.ca. That's Perfect. nice and easy. And I will attach that link in the uh, in the description of this episode. Dave, thank you for joining us. Uh, we'll definitely have you back because uh, we talk Star Wars a lot. So we're going to do that. Yeah. And then we'd love to do one talking about the Bolivian Children's Foundation. And cool. your experiences because you did a mission strip before that that's what got you involved in helping get this set up so yeah we'll unpack that next time sounds good awesome dear listener thank you for joining us i hope you enjoyed our conversation on star trek that went a lot longer than planned but that's how we do yeah yeah um, that's usually it yeah no seriously we'll be like hey, let's chat for a couple minutes and then three hours later <laughs> it- this, this episode better not be three hours because no, I'm it, currently looking at the runtime and it's not that far. No, no, no. It's not that far. But so we suck at saying goodbye if this makes it to three hours. Yeah, no, no. There's not going to be three. Uh, an hour and 15 minutes of silence. Um, no, there won't be that. Okay, cool. Um, so, yeah, we'll attach that. Dave, thank you for joining us and we'll have you back. And, dear listener, you're awesome. Thank you for listening and supporting uh, one cross radio uh and as always if you get the chance uh feel free to hit up our coffee site if you'd like to support us financially and what we do or if you want to get some sweet merch hit up our red bubble store um or hit us up on facebook and instagram thank you for listening hope you all have a wonderful day and god bless my friends take care <laughs>